Chapter Two of Phantoms of Reality by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Challenge of the Unknown. Incredible, impossible. I did not say it, though my thoughts were written on my face, no doubt. Derek said quietly, Difficult to believe, Charlie? Yes, but it happens to be true. The girl I love is not of this world, but she lives, nevertheless. I have seen her, talked with her. A slim little thing, beautiful. He sat staring. This is nothing supernatural, Charlie. Only the ignorant savages of our past called the unknown, the unusual, supernatural. We know better now. I said, this girl? He gestured, as I told you. I have for years been working on the theory that there is another world existing here in the same space with us the fourth dimension. Call it that, if you like. I have found it, proved its existence, and this girl, her name is Hope, lives in it. Let me tell you about her and her people, shall I? My heart was pounding so that it almost smothered me. Yes, Derek. She lives here in this space we call New York City. She and her people use the same space at the same time that we use it a different world from ours, existing here now with us, unseen by us, and we are unseen by them. A different form of matter, Charlie? As tangible to the people of the other realm as we are to our own world, humans like ourselves. He paused, but I could find no words to fill the gap, and presently he went on. Hope's world, coexisting here with us, is dependent upon us. They speak what we call English. They shadow us. I murmured, Phantoms of reality? Yes, a world very like ours, but primitive, where ours is civilized. He paused again. His eyes were staring past me, as though he could see through the walls of the cellar room into the great reaches of the unknown. What a strange mixture was this Derek Mason. What a strange compound of the cold reality of the scientist and the fancy of the romantic dreamer. Yet I wonder if that is not what science is. There is no romantic lover gawping at the moon who could have more romance in his soul, or see in the moonlit eyes of his loved one more romance than the scientist finds in the wonders of his laboratory. Derek went on slowly. A primitive world, primitive nation, primitive passions. As I see it now, Charlie, as I know it to be, it seems as though perhaps Hope's world is merely a replica of ours, stripped to the primitive, as though it might be the naked soul of our modern New York, ourselves as we really are, not as we pretend to be. He roused himself from his reverie. Hope's nation is ruled by a king, an emperor, if you like, a monarch, beset with the evils of luxury and ease and wine and women. He is surrounded by his nobles, the idle aristocracy by virtue of their birth proclaiming themselves to be too fine a clay to work. The crimson nobles they are called because they affect crimson cloaks, and their beautiful women, voluptuous, sex-mad, are wont to bedeck themselves in veils and robes of crimson. And there are workers, toilers, they call them, 
oppressed, downtrodden toilers, with hate for the nobles and the king smoldering within them. In France there was such a condition, and the bloody revolution came of it. It exists here now. Hope was born in the ranks of these toilers, but she has risen by her grace and beauty to a position in the court of this graceless monarch. He leaped from his chair and began pacing the room. I sat silent, staring at him. So strange a thing. Impossible? I could not say that. I could only say, incredible to me. And as I framed the thought, I knew its incredibility was the very measure of my limited intelligence, my lack of knowledge. The vast unknown of nature, so vast, that everything which was real to me, understandable to me, was a mere drop in the ocean of the existing unknown. Don't you understand me now? Derek added vehemently. I am not talking fantasy, cold reality. I have found a way to transport myself and you into this different state of matter, into this other world. I've already made a test. I went there and stayed just for a few moments, a night or so ago. It made my heart leap wildly. He went on. There is chaos there, smoldering revolution which at any time, tonight perhaps, may burst into conflagration and destroy this wanton ruling class. He laughed harshly. In Hope's world, the workers are a primitive, ignorant people, superstitious like the peons of Mexico. They are primed and ready to shout for any leader who sets himself up. My chance, our chance. He suddenly stopped his pacing and stood before me. Don't you feel the lure of it, the open road? The road is straight before me, and the red gods call for me. I'm going, Charlie, going tonight, and I want you to go with me. Will you? Would I go? The thing leaped like a menacing shadow, risen solidly to confront me. Would I go? Suddenly there was before me the face of a girl, white, apprehensive. It seemed almost pleading. A face beautiful with a mouth of parted red lips. A face framed in long, pale golden hair with big, staring blue eyes. Wistful eyes, wan with starlight. Eyes that seemed to plead. I thought, why, this is madness. I was not seeing this face with my eyes. There was nothing, no one here in the room, with me but Derek. I knew it. The shadows about us were empty. I was conjuring the face only from Derek's words, making real that which existed only in my imagination. Yet I knew that in another realm, with my thoughts now bridging the gap, the girl was real. Would I go into the unknown? The quest of the unknown. The gauntlet of the unknown flung down now before me, as it was flung down before the ancient explorers who picked up its challenge and mounted the swaying decks of their little galleons and said, We'll go and see what lies off there in the unknown. That same lure was on me now. I heard my voice saying, Why, yes, I guess I'll go, Derek. End of chapter 2